Hi, everybody. I'm Sean Smucker, and I'm going to read from the first chapter of my book, The Weight of Memory, which releases July 6th. Any time to three months. Her words hover in the air, hummingbirds, and I hold my breath, glance up at the clock above the door, and watch the red second hand twitch its way through a minute. I pinch my bottom lip in between my teeth. There's a small piece of paper under her chair, the tiniest corner torn off, left from the previous examination. What news did that patient receive? What diagnosis? What will I leave behind? I'm sorry, Dr. Cortez. I say, can you repeat that? Each of my blinks is like the shutter on an old camera, holding for an extra moment so that I see the negative of her on the inside of my eyelids. I reach up and rub my eyes. Why do I not feel a deep sadness? I think it would be appropriate for me to feel a deep sadness. Mr. Elias, she begins again, and her words have a lullaby quality to them as if she's explaining a monster to a child. The darkness sleeping under the bed, the movement subtly shifting in the corner of the room after the light turns off. My mind wanders, this time to you, to the happiness on your face when you see me waiting outside of the school or how heavy your eyes are when you're trying not to fall asleep. I think of all the made-up tales you have told me, all the imaginary friends, all the whispering voices. I realize in that moment that I can never tell you this news because it's a monster far too scary, a story far too dark for an 11, almost 12-year-old. There's relief with the realization that I do not have to tell you, that I will not tell you, so I look over at Dr. Cortez, finally ready to listen. Mr. Elias, she says, do you understand what I'm telling you? I wonder how doctors can possibly appear to be so young, like high school students. Dr. Cortez's hair is held together in a bright pink scrunchie, and she has no wrinkles at the corners of her eyes. We've become friends the last months, closer as the news has become increasingly worse. She has always tried to soften the blows. The thought hums through my mind that this is a practical joke, one of those television shows where they play pranks on unsuspecting chumps. I smile to myself, eager for this to be true. I actually check the room for a hidden camera. Perhaps in the light switch or in that pointy wall mount behind the glass jar of cotton swabs, or in the tiny pendant that sways barely visible inside the neck of her blue blouse where the top button sags undone. But there is the knot on my head behind my left temple. That is no practical joke. And there are waves of nausea, moments when I nearly black out. Those are not practical jokes. And Dr. Cortez, she wouldn't lie to me. Maybe it's God. Maybe God is the prankster here. My face must be suitably blank because she tells me once again for the third time, Mr. Elias, there is no treatment available, she says. It's too far along. I'm very sorry. The buds of tears form in the corners of her eyes, those eyes that have no wrinkles, and the left side of her mouth twitches in a sad dance. She stands and turns away and pretends to rearrange the various pamphlets on the counter. I shift ever so slightly on the examination table, and the paper underneath me crackles like electricity. Welcome to Poet Kind Podcast. I'm your host, Susan Mulder. Sean Smucker visited with me a couple of years ago, and it is an honor to welcome him back. Since our last visit, he has published two books, and we will chat about both, but his most recent, The Weight of Memory, 
releases on July 6th, and you just heard him read from Chapter 1. And if you stick around until the end of today's episode, you'll get to hear the rest of the chapter. Sean is an award-winning writer who also helps others bring their words and work into the world. He's also a podcaster, which you'll hear more about as we chat. He's a husband and dad. And join me as I welcome Sean Smucker back to the podcast. Sean has been on the podcast, it was two years ago, and he came to talk about his book, Light from Distant Stars. Since then, he has had his second book, These Nameless Things, and now we're going to talk about The Weight of Memory. Thank you, Sean, for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Susan. It's really great to, to talk with you again. Now, I, I mentioned that you've got, this is, this is your third, this is your third adult fiction, you also write children's fiction or well, young adult fiction, I guess. Yeah. So um, my very first novel was uh, The Day the Angels Fell, and that was YA. And then the, I did write the sequel to that, The Edge of Over There. Um, but like you said, yeah, two years ago, we were talking about Light from Distant Stars, which is hard to believe because it 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 both feels like a lot longer ago than that. And it also feels like not that long ago. Right, right. <laughs> Well, you've come out with another book that is must have summer reading for someone like me who loves that, oh, that sort of supernatural element along with the weaving of a really good story. And I just, I just appreciate that so much. There's so much in there that um, is unnerving, but also just uh, great fun to read. Oh, good. Good. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, it was a really fun one to write. This this one takes um, a little different turn from your previous. These Nameless Things dealt with uh, Dante's Inferno. So that you had a very specific framework for that, which you pulled off brilliantly. It was such a good story. But Weight of Memory, this is more personal in a way. And I'm wondering if you had some sort of um, inspiration for particular parts of the story? So really when I started The Weight of Memory, I had just finished reading George MacDonald's The Light Princess. <laughs> and I was actually listening to it. And I just so enjoyed what he did with that book. And I, I actually listened to it, oh, probably four or five times. I was just, as soon as it would end, I would just start it again because I was I was fascinated with the different themes he was playing around with. And so what I wanted to do was to create almost a more modern, re not necessarily a retelling, but definitely a book that was very heavily influenced by that. And then also have a, a favorite movie called Pan's Labyrinth, which is, um, it, it's, it's sort of known as being an adult fairy tale. And I guess that was where I was going with this, was to create something along the lines of a fairy tale but the themes and the different things that were involved were much more adult in nature, you know, mm -hmm. than, than sort of a YA or middle grade book. Um, I think you mentioned the personal nature of it. And I, I do feel like because the book is written in, in, a, in a kind of second person point of view, um, where you have the narrator, the first person narrator, who's, who's sort of talking to his granddaughter 
um, which isn't always at the front of the narrative, but it's always sort of there is that you realize, okay, this is being told to his granddaughter. I think that that does give it more of a personal feel. So it's, you sort of, I, at least what I was trying to create was this sense of you're listening in to this story or this conversation that Paul is having with his granddaughter as he tries to navigate, you know, his own, his own sort of pending death. Mm -hmm. Um, And also the real central struggle of the book, which is what is he going to do with his granddaughter, you know, as he is preparing for this, this death. Well, and it's interesting too, because, you know, as, as you, as you go through and uncover more about the characters, there's a lot of loss in his life and he wants to save that for her, but she's also had a lot of loss and she has her own unique issues that she struggles with um, that affect them both. You know, she disappears. She, you know, she, goes places that she's maybe not supposed to go there's aspects of why she does that that contribute to the the supernatural kind of undertones as to part of the story so it just really is this intricate experience when you when you dive in I love how you set the scenery too you know, you're de- you're describing these beautiful places as they travel, and it becomes very real. You know, you you feel that warm breeze as they're driving along, and I think the the internal dialogue that he has also is very touching. <laughs> Maybe it's because I'm a grandparent, you know, that I that I think, oh yeah, you know, th- these are these are things you might go through, and and how would you feel if that was the role you t- had taken on? It's not a simple story, but it's not. Um... Wow, I should have had more coffee this morning. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting what you were saying um, because I hadn't really thought of it before. But you do, even though it's a first-person narrative, you do get sort of this parallel image of how each of these two characters deal with loss. You know, so you get the internal perspective from Paul on how he's dealt with the loss of his wife and now the upcoming, you know, sort of loss of life. Um, But then from his perspective, you do also get Pearl's, his granddaughter, Pearl's way of dealing with the losses she's already had. And it, yeah, it is, it is sort of interesting to think about how, how each of them approaches that. I hadn't really thought of that before. Well, and, and then also I, for me, and maybe this is because I read kind of all over the place, it's almost like this, for both of them, a heroic quest, mm. that quest for him to find a way to have completion, to know his granddaughter's cared for, and then for her to come into this next phase of her life and to solve this mystery that that keeps drawing her into these experiences. So I thought that was really great. And then how it all wrapped up in probably some of my favorite scenes of the book, Mm. this house that they end up with, um, if I correct me if I'm wrong, it's a lawyer Mm. 
the house they end up in, I don't know if anybody else has ever done this, but these dream sequences when you're in a house that it just keeps changing as you're going mm, along yes. and these mysterious rooms and then these things that happen. It became a very palpable experience reading that. Uh, it was great fun. I love the idea of houses that can't be grasped completely, you know, and I think I fell in love with that idea as a young kid reading the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Mm -hmm. When the four Pevensey kids show up, you know, at Diggory's house and they just keep finding new wings and new rooms and new floors. And that, that concept is really interesting to me because I think on the one hand, the home that we live in, we want it to feel safe and sort of palpable, like graspable, like we understand it and it's containable in our minds. And so I think whenever you're living in a house that can't be contained or completely understood, I think it does it does lend sort of this unsettled feeling to the story. Um, and that was, that was definitely something that I was trying to go for with that. You succeeded. It's a wonderful read. And it's just, you know, for summertime is a great time to sit back and enjoy just something that takes you to another place. And this does it so well. So thank you very much for, oh, for another gift this summer of a terrific book. <laughs> uh, it's fun to talk with you about it. Now, it doesn't come out until July 6th. So I'm excited that folks that are listening now, and if they joined in at the beginning of the podcast, they will have heard you reading at the first chapter. I hope they go out and grab it because um, this would be a great not just like a summer beach read, but also if you have a, a book club that gets together, there is so much good, uh, just good story in here, but good things to talk about that are very real. I hope people go out and grab a copy of it. Yeah, I love, and that's something I love to do is talk with book clubs on Zoom or if they're close to Lancaster. I've I've joined book clubs many times after they finish, and it's so much fun to sit down and kind of get their feedback and their questions. And um, so, if anybody's listening and your book club, you know, reads this, just find me online, and and I'd love to set up a time to chat. Oh, that's an awesome invitation. That is great. Now you uh, do some other things as well as. Being a writer, you have a great podcast with your wife, which I think is great fun. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about that? Yeah, so the podcast is called The Stories Between Us. And my wife, Miley, is a writer as well as me. And so we're always having these conversations just in our kitchen or in our bedroom or in the office about writing I'm always encouraging her. She's encouraging me. We're asking each other, you know, should we do this? Should we do that? Should we self-publish? Should we keep querying? And at some point I turned to her and I said, we really should just be recording these conversations because we have them every day. And I would love it if, if they would encourage other writers. So that's what we started. I guess it's about two years ago this, this fall. Um, so yeah, the podcast is called The Stories Between Us. We talk about writing, family, the creative life, we interview a lot of really fun guests. It's been a it's been such a fun undertaking. We're currently in, in a little bit of a break before we start a new season, so we'll probably start that sometime in July. But um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. 
Oh, that's good. I hope folks check that out as well. Now, do you still offer writing classes, coaching, anything like that through your website? Yeah, so we we have another website called thestoriesbetweenus.com. And that is uh, a list of all of the courses that we're currently offering. We started a course called the nine month novel, and that started in March. So that will run through pretty much the end of the year. And we're taking about 25 students through the writing of their novel from idea uh, through the first draft. And that has been so much fun. The, the community that we set up has been really vibrant, people asking questions and interacting and so that's been really cool. And then we have a revision class that's starting in the new year. I'm going to be offering a memoir writing class because mm -hmm. that's what I do. My day job is co-writing and ghostwriting memoirs. And so okay. um, we're going to do a memoir writing class starting in the fall. We also have a kid's uh, or a, a teenager's class, uh, short story writing class. So we have a bunch of, bunch of different offers going on there. And like I said, you can find that at thestoriesbetweenus.com. What a fun process to go through taking, you know, an author birthing a book all the way through the process. I love that it's that nine month metaphor there that you take them from beginning to end and they end up with, with a real book baby at the end of it. That's, that's yeah. terrific. Yeah. It's been so rewarding to, to see that process and, you know, to walk alongside, not everybody is right on track where they, you know, where they wanted to be from the beginning, but to realize that, you know, writing a novel is a, is a very dynamic thing. It's, it's a dynamic process. And so, you know, there are fits and starts and we're, you know, we're encouraging some people here and patting people here on the back. And so it's just a, it's been a really fun exercise to, to go through. Now, um, as we start to kind of wrap things up, you've mentioned some social media things. Uh, do you have anything coming up that, that listeners should maybe know about? Um, well, if you pre-order The Weight of Memory, we are going to be having a book release party, an outdoor in-person book release party here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And my good friend, Sean of the South, uh, Sean Dietrich, is going to be joining us for that, which I'm super excited about. So if you're, you know, if you're within striking distance of Central PA uh, on July 10th, that will be a really fun outdoor event um, if you're looking for something to do this summer. It's actually fun to think of something that is going to be in person, in real life, right. yes. <laughs> that is actually going to happen. And you'll get to celebrate this book probably in a very different way than you were able to with last year's book, These Nameless Things. That was so, tough. Yeah, yeah, that was a really difficult... I mean, obviously it was a difficult summer for so many of us for so many different reasons. It didn't feel like a huge loss at the time just because of the monumental things that were taking place last right. summer. Um, but in hindsight, yeah, you know, it was disappointing to have a book come out during that time and, and not really be that prepared. Um, I think, you know, now that we're a year, year and a half into pandemic living, I think people have figured out um, different ways of releasing books, but back then it was so early, it was so new, and we just didn't really know what to do. I, I just saw some sales figures from last year where in-print book sales at local bookstores were down like 60, 70% last year. Mm. So 
it was just a really, it was a tough year to release a book and, and these nameless things, I still love that book. It still means so much to me. So, um, yeah, I hope people will go back and pick it up. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you want to tell, tell our listeners a little bit about these nameless things, give them a little teaser of what they might be looking for. Um, maybe they can go do double duty and grab both of them. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, so, uh, the protagonist in that, in that story's name is Dan and he finds himself in a very small village at the edge of, at the edge of a mountain. And it's, it's a little uncertain in the beginning, exactly where he is. The story is based on Dante's Inferno. And so it turns out that he is on the edge of the Inferno and waiting for his brother to come out of the mountain. So many people have come out of the mountain. A few of them have stopped in the village. There's like nine or 10 people living there. Um, and as the story progresses, you start to realize that the, that, that small number of people who remain in that village are there for a reason and that their stories are all actually intertwined. So, um, yeah, it, it was a wonderful read as well. So I'd like to encourage my listeners out there, grab a copy of his new book, The Weight of Memory, but also these nameless things kind of make up for the, the pandemic partyless atmosphere <laughs> of that release. Right, right. So. yeah. And you know, the other thing is it's, it's kind of a serious book. And I think that, yeah. um, I don't know that we were all really into like super serious things last summer anyway. I think we had enough serious going on in our real lives. Yeah, what last summer is is definitely, you know, I think some interesting writing may come out of the pandemic just because of the weight of it, mm -hmm. um, and and how we all what what we all did to get through. So mm, yeah, yeah. Well, Sean, thank you so much again. It's been an absolute delight to sit down with you. I I hope the next time your book comes out, you can come back. That will be that would be a first, it would be a hat trick. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, I, I always love chatting with you, Susan. So thank you for having me. Thank you very much. And you guys take care over there and enjoy your summer. Thank you. You too. Just a reminder, you can find out more about Sean and his writing as well as the nine-month novel program at seansmucker.com. You can pre-order a copy of his book, The Weight of Memory, on his website, from your friendly local bookshop or any online book retailer. Also visit the storiesbetweenus.libsen.com or find his podcast by searching for The Stories Between Us and listen on your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to pre-order The Weight of Memory. And if you share the book with your book club, take Sean up on his offer to Zoom with your group to talk about the book. Thank you for joining me today. PoetKind is a place to discover poetry and enjoy great conversations with the people who create it. I also enjoy sitting down with other creatives to unpack how and why they do what they do. Getting to know someone and talking with them about what brings them to life is a great way to build understanding and make the world a richer, kinder place to be. We need to stop comparing ourselves. Compare notes, yes, to uncover what makes us who we are and remind us we are more alike than we realize. Thank you for spending a few moments with me here on the podcast. Poet Kind is an unsupported podcast. 
I do this because I love it, and I enjoy bringing great writers, creators, poets, and listeners together. One small way you can show your support for us is by sharing your favorite episodes on your own social media platforms as a way to get the word out. Like our podcast on your preferred listening platform and leave a review with a few words about why you enjoy PoetKind. You can also follow us on Instagram. Simply search for PoetKind and make sure to say hi. Until next time, be kind to each other. Do whatever it is that makes you come alive. Write, paint, plant, sing. Bring it into the world and make it a better place. She turns, holding out one of the pamphlets, and I take it from her smooth hands. She's a child. The words on the pamphlet read, hospice care and you. I take another deep breath. I'm full to bursting with air. I let it out in a long sigh. Are you still blacking out? Her voice is probing, gentle. I shrug, nod. Are your pain levels okay? I nod again. When I think I'll never find words, five of them disturb the surface. How long do I have? She clears her throat. Mr. Elias, I don't normally... Her voice collapses in on itself. Dr. Cortez, I've been trying to get you to call me Paul for over a year now. I try to chuckle, but no sound comes out. Mr. Elias, Paul, she says. I understand, I say, and my composure seems to catch her off guard. I shrug and give her a small but heavy smile. I'm 58 years old. I've had many good years, but I have a granddaughter in my care. She depends on me. She has no one else. And I'll need to find someone to take her in. My voice cracks. I clear it. My words come out all breath. It would help. I'm sure you understand if I had some idea. I've never felt so much like I'm underwater. I think of Mary. What was the last thing she thought going under? Was she afraid? Was she thinking of me? Could she see the light from the mid-morning sun glimmering too far above her? The doctor shakes her head. I don't normally, it's a guessing game. You could live much longer. My mouth tightens into a smile. I understand, I say again, trying to nudge her with a kind glance. Your best guess. She breathes quietly, a bird quivering in the brush. She licks her lips, her head tilts, and her hand moves instinctively to the unbuttoned collar of her blouse, hiding the triangle of tender skin. She can't make eye contact with me as she says the words, and this fills me with an immense amount of affection for her. It's all I can do not to move across the small room and hug her. The soonest? Anytime, really. She seems to be holding her breath. She doesn't know where to look. Anytime. And the longest? Perhaps two or three months. Three months. Her chest quivers in what seems to be a stifled sob. It strikes me as both completely unprofessional and deeply human. Between any time and three months. I feel a subtle relief. There it is, the finish line. I think of you and the relief turns sour. How can I leave you behind? Who will take care of you? The idea comes to me as I sit in Dr. Cortez's office. I will take you back to my hometown, back to where I grew up, back to Nisa. I will show you the home I was born in, the creeks I fished, the small town where my friends and I caused trouble. To me, it feels like the last safe place in the world. And if I have to leave you, that seems the best place to do it. I don't know who will take you in, but the idea of driving with you through these early autumn days feels so good that I decide we will leave today, this afternoon, or tomorrow, yes, tomorrow morning at the latest. 
I stand and take a deep breath as if everything is finally beginning. I approach the door and Dr. Cortez doesn't stand. I know she is very new at this. Her face is in her hands. I reach down and my fingertips graze her small shoulder and I squeeze her collarbone reassuringly. I'm surprised at how fragile it feels, like an eggshell. Thank you, Sarah, I whisper. You have always been forthright with me. I know you've tried many things and I appreciate that. This will get easier, telling people. Don't worry. She reaches up to squeeze my hand, but her reach stops somewhere short of her shoulder, short of my fingers. I walk away, breathing, each step a deliberate effort to keep going. Outside, the late September air is soft and warmer than it should be.